Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 321 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis. Today, we're going to be talking about sources of calf pain. Now, I know what you're all thinking. You know, there could be a hundred sources of calf pain. Well, today, we're just going to review some of the most common causes of calf pain, go through a little differential diagnosis, um, and talk about a bunch of different things, but really things that are related mostly um, to orthopedics and uh, some neurological stuff. But uh, I think you'll enjoy today's show. It's going to get you thinking outside of the box when you see patients with some calf discomfort. But before I get started, I just want to thank all of my listeners for being there, for sending great questions, feedback, comments. Um, please keep it coming. I'm sure that your questions are questions that others haven't, you know, taken the time to send in and they're just maybe a little shy. They, they may feel a little intimidated or whatever. Send those questions. A lot of other people have those questions also. Um, now, some of you may have a lot of questions and maybe some orthopedic struggles along the way. And this is where one-on-one -on -one coaching kicks in. And for those of you who are not familiar with it, simply put, it's really a non-intimidating environment. Um, you and I meet one-on-one -on -one, uh, during a Zoom meeting. It's usually about an hour or so. Um, you know, I've coached DOs, podiatrists, PTs, OTs, medical students, new grads, people with 25 years of experience and some people with six months of experience. So <clears throat> I am here for you. Uh, there's no specific outline unless you want one. Um, we can discuss patient cases, do some orthopedic reviews, maybe just focus on one area. Um, you may, you know, be really good in, in physical therapy or occupational therapy or, you know, in the medical profession, but maybe there's an area that you just don't see a lot of. Um, it could be the forefoot, the shoulder. Maybe it's your special tests you want to brush up on. Um, you know, we can review all of that stuff. I'll often send some resources that I have, you know, just to help kind of guide you through the learning process afterwards. And I always get these thoughts as we're doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm like, okay, you need to take a look at this video or you need to, you know, go through this outline that I use. And so I'll often add some uh, information. I often record the one-on-one -on -one sessions also so that I can send them back to you and you can watch them at your own leisure just to kind of go through, take notes or do whatever you'd like with them. Um, so if you're interested in some one-on-one -on -one coaching, connect with me. I'd love to meet you and help guide you through your orthopedic journey. All right, before we get started, my sincere apologies for all of you who are my avid listeners and who are there week to week, you know, just kind of waiting for the podcast to come out and see what the next topic is going to be. I've got three, uh, you know, 320 episodes under my belt over the course of six years plus, and I missed last Tuesday. I got hammered with COVID so hard, I just couldn't physically do it. Um, whenever that happens and we miss a week, um, feel free to go back and take a look at some of the old content that we have up there. Um, you know, there's 320 episodes to look at or listen to, and uh, it's evergreen content, so it's really not going to go bad. It's not like it's going to go out of date. Um, I will do some new content on some old stuff and just add some, you know, kind of a... a an edited edition and add some new uh, activities or techniques or whatever it might be. So uh, not much is going to change on there. So uh, be sure that uh, you check out some of the old content that we have if you haven't uh, done that yet. 
So on to today's show, we're going to be talking about sources of calf pain. Now, I did not put a number on this. You know, some people put like oh, nine most common causes of and, and yes, sometimes we can put a number on it. But as I get to doing um, some of these topics, I just get going in the podcast and sometimes we throw some extra stuff in there. So we're not going to put a number on it. I think we're probably going to be at nine or ten um, different sources. But let's go through some of the things that I feel are most important to recognize uh, and uh, identify and uh, just kind of throw out how, how do we differentially diagnose that from other uh, calf type of situations. So the first one I want to hit, and I, I, I want to talk about this one because it's really the most important one. Whenever I have a new student um, or a new grad uh, and they're in with us, the first thing I tell them, when we are looking at lower extremity injuries, um, it could be post-surgical, be post-injury, uh, we want to look for a DVT, okay? So we want to make sure that we rule that out. Rule out complications first and then get to the rest of your evaluation and the treatment that you're going to give, right? So, um, you know, what you want to do is you want to take a look at this calf. If they're having gastroctolius discomfort, ask them, did this kind of come on on its own? Um, was this after surgery, after an injury? Um, or was there like a particular mechanism of injury? Did they change direction really quickly and they felt a pop and they have pain in the back of their leg? Well, it's likely to be something else. But if it kind of slowly comes on, they start to develop some pain in the calf. Uh, it can become red, hot, swollen, tight, Um you then want to do a Holman's test and uh, just kind of give a little squeeze back there, see if they're uncomfortable. Now, this often happens post-surgically. And one of the things that I have found is that let's say that you have a meniscus tear, ACL tear, and you, you're walking on crutches, maybe you're on one crutch, and that gastroxoleus starts to become a little uncomfortable. It's probably because your quad is shut down and you're propelling yourself um, and plantar flexing a lot more than you typically would. Uh, and so as a result, you can develop some muscle soreness in the calf. So you just got to kind of make sure that, you know, if it's not red, not hot, not swollen, but just kind of, you know, you can palpate the different muscle bellies in their sore, well, that may just be a little overused to the muscle. But no matter what, if you are questioning if they have a DVT or not, send them to the emergency department, call their family provider, and uh, and give them your, your, your concerns, and uh, they'll probably go in for an ultrasound, probably a D-dimer, and get that checked out. Now, if you want to see a patient who has a DVT in their leg, uh, check out the video and the, uh, the link in the show notes and check that out. We have a, a patient who did have that. Um, and uh, so uh, it, it's very clear there. So the next thing I want to talk about is a popliteal artery occlusion. All right. So if somebody says, yeah, I walk and I bike and I get this pain in my calf and it gets to the point where, you know, my, my muscles really ache. Um, it's worse going uphill. You put more demand on the muscle and it becomes worse. You get relief with rest and then you can resume the activities that you're doing. So one of the things that I've noticed with these folks is that they're going to the their leg is going to get cold. Okay. And a lot of people might tell you that an extremity gets cold, but that could be a neurological, you know, dysesthesia where they think that it's cold, but it's not actually cold. And it's just because the nerves are not functioning well. But if somebody has a, an arterial occlusion, the leg will actually be cold. Okay. They can also develop some weakness in that leg. 
what I might do with these folks is I may put them on a bike um, and uh, I might take a look at that leg first, okay? Just take a look at the color of the leg, check their pedal pulses, their dorsalis pedis and posterior tibialis pulses, check them out, have them put their shoes on, sneakers on, have them get on a bike and have them push until they get that same sensation. And I get them till they're pretty achy. Um, and then as soon as they get to that point, I take them off the bike quickly. I put them on a table. I have them take their shoes and socks off as quick as they can. And I take a look at their legs. Um, if they're, if that leg is white, cold, the pulses are not as strong, you need to be, um, you know, suspicious of a popliteal artery occlusion uh, in that area. And some people can have it above that, uh, you know, the in the iliac region. Uh, so check that out also. But this is something to kind of keep into consideration. Um, you need to remember that there's a difference between neurogenic and vascular claudication. Vascular claudication will be more globalized. The extremity will actually get cold, okay? You'll develop some weakness. Um, unlike the next one, which would be an S1 nerve root compression, all right, um, where the pain pattern is much more defined. It's easily identified with a straight leg raise test, okay? So different than a vascular test. If you do a straight leg raise test, um, that, that will give you that neural tension, cause you some pain down the leg, maybe even some paresthesia. Um, typically, the nerve root compression problem will not get worse with biking uh, because they're kind of slightly flexed a little bit and they're opening up those foramen, um, unlike a vascular issue, which uh, will get worse with biking. All right. Number four, a calf strain or a calf tear. Um, typically, these have a mechanism of injury, some sort of quick direction. Maybe they missed a step. They were going down the stairs in the dark and they missed a step. They caught themselves um, or they sustained a sudden dorsiflexion to the ankle. Um, you know, when this happens, uh, they could have some swelling. Uh, it could be a little bit warm, but it's not so globalized. Usually you can isolate it to the, the medial or lateral gastroc um, musculature. So palpation can be really helpful here. You want to make sure that you rule out an Achilles rupture. I do have a video in uh, today's show notes um, to show you what a positive um, Thompson's test looks like and um, what a what a, an Achilles rupture looks like. And so um, take that into uh, consideration when you see people who have kind of uh, a gastroc soleus involvement there. Number five, a plantaris rupture. Not something you see t terribly often. I've probably seen, I don't know, maybe a dozen in my career. Um, these can look like an Achilles rupture. They will give you the nice big pop when it happens. But here is the, the, the giveaway here is when they have this forced dorsiflexion, there's usually an involved um, concomitant knee hyperextension. All right. And so the knee hyperextends and then you get this forced dorsiflexion of the foot. You're kind of bending forward at the same time. You'll get this kind of a sharp pop in the back of the calf. Sometimes you can follow this bruised line down along the center of the calf. Um, you need to remember that the plantaris originates at the lateral femoral condylar uh, ridge. So you can kind of follow that that proximal lateral calf. Okay, they'll be tender along that, and then it goes right down the center of that calf, and then right down to that uh, muscular tendinous junction at the, near the Achilles. And so remember, you know, the plantaris is not a a big, you know, 
muscular muscle and uh, the tendon really doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. It aids in knee flexion very, very slightly and aids in plantar flexion and again, very slightly. So when they pop, if you can identify that it's that and not an Achilles rupture, then you don't need to worry about this as much, okay? Because all you need to do is put them into a walker boot get them off that leg a little bit so they're not plantar flexing and dorsiflexing so much for a couple of weeks and then slowly get them back into some weight bearing some active ankle range of motion you don't want to immobilize them too long um, but you just you want to make sure they don't have an Achilles rupture and if not then these typically will get better over time and surgeons do I've never seen one fixed uh, surgically and uh, so uh, they do respond, but you need to be able to pick them out of the crowd um, when they happen. Now, number six, a ruptured Baker's cyst. You don't see this very often, but it can happen, and I have seen them. And what happens is they um, they can get really large in the back of the knee in that popliteal space, and then suddenly rupture from too much activity, maybe too much pressure back there. Um, the problem here is that it can drain down into the gastroxoleus, you know, compartment and area, and you can develop an infection from this. So if you recognize that it has happened, um, not a bad idea to have the patient uh, checked by their provider just to make sure they don't have an infection and uh, keep an eye on it. But I mean, most uh, cysts, when they do rupture, they end up getting reabsorbed and uh, actually get some relief in the area of the cyst, and uh, that can be uh, less painful. But just make sure you compare both sides uh, when you see this or you think you see this. Um, now, compartment syndrome. Um, again, not something that you see very often unless you're you know, working in the world of, of runners. Uh, this is most common in the lateral compartment of the lower leg. You'll get this hardness in the region, kind of the lateral calf and anterior tib region. Um, the skin will get really shiny. There will be a very deep ache. This is much worse with running and walking, um, but up here in northern Maine, where we see a lot of cross-country skiers, um, we see this much more in skate skiers than we do in classic skiers or even in runners um, because you have this eversion dorsiflexion that occurs and you're trying to pick the tips of those skis up as you are skate skiing um, so that you can clear that. What happens is, you know, halfway through you know, the race or three quarters of the way through, they start to not be able to lift the tips up anymore because they become so weak um, and they're getting so much compression. They get this deep aching is very, very disabling. Um, I've seen several uh, skiers with this um, and it's very disappointing because uh, they can be extremely great at their sport and so very limited by this um, that they can't even work through it uh, most of the time because they cannot be productive pushing anymore or, or lifting those tips anymore. So um, very disabling, very difficult to manage. They need to be seen by somebody who can check the compartment pressures. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes surgery is the best option for that. Uh, number eight, severe knee arthritis. And you're thinking to me, wait a second. Uh, you're, you're thinking to yourself, wait a second now. How can knee arthritis cause gastroxoleus discomfort? When you develop enough hyaline cartilage breakdown, those underlying nerves start to really get fired up. And you can see this, this bony radiation of pain both distally and proximally. So you can see it go up the femur, you can see it go down the tibia. And people will complain of this, like I get this pain on the back of my knee, it goes down into the, my calf area. 
And it's not uncommon when these folks are severely arthritic to develop this type of bony discomfort and it's deep in that soleus region um, and very difficult to manage, obviously, unless they have surgery. So um, number nine, uh, shin splints or soleus discomfort. Now you remember that you know we shouldn't forget about this soleus. This is a this is a workhorse here. Um, that soleus attaches again with the gastrocnemius complex to turn into a musculotendinous junction into the Achilles tendon. The Achilles tendon helps to try to control calcaneal eversion. So once that heel strikes the floor and it wants to go into calcaneal eversion, that soleus has to work really hard. Okay, in order to help hold that heel in a neutral position. And so then you have this eccentric load, concentric load, eccentric load, concentric load. And so it works really hard. Um, and when it does that, especially in people with overuse uh, injuries, um, you'll see this, this periosteal inflammation, okay, this pretibial stress fracture um, type of uh, occurrence, and they'll end up with stress fractures and or medial tibial stress syndrome. And so a lot of that comes from this soleus muscle um, that is just overworking. So making sure that they're in orthotics, proper sneakers, maybe changing their, um, their running technique or maybe modifying it so they're not running so much and doing other activities that don't require so much uh, calcaneal control, subtalar joint control, um, and uh, so much um, high-speed plantar flexion. Um, so something to assess there. If you think it's a stress fracture or shin splint, you got to kind of get on that, modify their activities, but it, this can also give them uh, this gastroxoleus discomfort. And then number 10, I have muscle cramping in charley horses, oftentimes due to dehydration or inappropriate chemical mix. You know, they're just not getting enough potassium or magnesium. Um, if they have short calves, um, I kid you not, and I'm going to be talking a little bit about this on Instagram here soon because I've got, it's not a rant, but I see all these people, you know, testing dorsiflexion range of motion in the kind of genuflected position, you know, where you're kind of um, in a in a lunge position and you measure how foot how far back your foot can be from the wall and then kind of lean forward into that and see if you can get your knee to touch the wall and measure that distance. Well, that's good and great if you're a squatter and you're going downstairs all the time. Um, but think about it. We walk, you know, the average person walks 6,000 steps a day. Your, your ankle goes into dorsiflexion with full knee extension at mid stance. Um, and then even into terminal stance phase of gait, that's where you need gastroxoleus flexibility. And so oftentimes we, you know, we may have great flexibility with the knee flex, but we need to have better flexibility with the knee extended, okay? Especially if we're walking a lot or moving a lot during the day. And so at night, people go to bed, they plantar flex a lot, and then they just go into these Charlie horses. And I don't know how many people have told me. Um, so let me, let me precede this with, when I do orthotics on patients, about 90% of them have tight calves, okay? Five degrees of dorsiflexion or less in full knee extension. I give them a gastroxoleus flexibility program for two weeks while waiting to get their orthotics. 75% plus come back saying, I'm already feeling better. It doesn't matter if they have metatarsalgia, if they have plantar fasciitis or whatever, 
whatever the reason I'm putting the orthotic on, they're feeling better already. And I have a crazy number of people who say, I stretch my calves before I go to sleep at night every night so that I don't develop a charley horse during the evening. And there's a direct correlation there between doing the stretch and not getting the charley horses. Okay, so something I want you to think about, if, you're, if your patients are, are getting a lot of calf cramping at night, you know, obviously make sure they're drinking enough, um, but have them try some calf stretches before they go to bed and see how they feel. I guarantee you they're going to come back and thank you for having them do that. So um, those would be our 10 reasons why people get gastroxoleus discomfort. Um, you know, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, we have a lot of new YouTube videos coming out soon, so make sure you check us out on YouTube. We just hit our 100,000 subscriber mark. Super stoked about that. And, um, you know, send us your questions. We love to uh, to field those and then bring them onto the show. And um, I hope you all have a great holiday season. We're really getting close to Christmas here. And, um, again, folks, be kind to each other and take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.